Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast with your hosts, Corndog and Eric. Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast. It is February 2nd, 2023, episode number 82. I am Corndog, your co-host, along with our other co-host, Eric, sitting in. How are you doing, Eric? Hey, what's up? What's up? Cool. I'm good. I'm good. So, <laughs> another strange or different recording uh, tonight. Eric is back home in studio in Panaca, and I am in... Azil, Texas. I think I'm saying that right. Azil, Texas at my buddy um, Mike Hop- Hopton's house. Hoppy. He's a ground shaker, but he moved here to Texas a couple years ago. So he's driving through and been here a couple days. It's awesome, dude. Yeah. And so we're going to get uh, later on in the show. Our guest is Tanner Janeski. Uh, won the uh, 2022 Baja 1000 Ironman Pro Class. And sitting with him is a past guest and past helper, I guess you'd call Trent Sandoval. So uh, we'll have him, them on the on the show here in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, he's a well-rounded rider and has, over the last several years, put in some some awesome rides down in Baja. So it'll be fun to hear his story. Yeah, and he's also got the. Him and his dad make those movies into the dust. So yep. You can see them on YouTube, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, cool. cool. What's that? <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh, um, anyways, we'll get them on the, the phone here in a little bit. Um, it's going to be like a three way phone call. So I hope the reception is good. Uh, in the past, we've kind of broke up and lost signal a couple times so bear with us if that happens and fingers crossed that it doesn't <laughs> right yeah yeah so anyways uh current events i guess we're talking we can talk about um let's see i'm still on my moto van trip like i said i'm in texas and and cool thing is i realized that I'm close to the Houston Supercross this weekend, so I jumped online, bought me a ticket. I'm going to Houston Supercross. <laughs> Lucky dog, dude. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. Hopefully it warms up. It's cold as crud here, and um, me and Hoppy have been talking for a couple weeks because I knew I was going to be close to his house, so I, he invited me over, and he was going to take me riding. And it is so frozen and ice warning conditions and we've just kind of been stuck in the house they canceled school for his kids he they sent him or they didn't even he didn't even go to work he's been working on the computer from home so it's it's crazy down here wow yeah i've seen some of your pictures on the van it looked like you had an inch of ice covering the entire thing it's just wild so much different than what we're used to here yeah, it's weird because it's like raining or mist in the air. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it touches the surface, it's freezing. So it's not like snow. Mm-hmm. And I, literally yesterday on my drive here, I drove a couple, uh, 300 miles. And 
I had to stop three times to break the ice off the windshield wipers. It just it built up so bad. And the whole front of the grill, I think my van was actually getting a little hot because the whole front grill was a solid no. chunk of ice. Yeah, no airflow, huh? Yeah, yeah. Crazy. So, yep. Yeah, so unfortunately, we didn't get to ride here. So dang it. <laughs> uh he, he showed me some YouTube videos, though, of a riding park uh, close by here. It's called Red River, and that looked fun, but there ain't no chance of riding in this these conditions. Come on, what, you just a fair-weather rider or what? Well, <laughs> I don't want an inch of ice built up on my goggles. <laughs> yeah, I'm just playing. That's not yeah. really good. Yeah. And, and it's right. crazy too. It's the ground is like an inch of ice, and it it took us twenty minutes to get my van out of his driveway to get set up to get on the road tomorrow. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that. Um, of course, the moto van trip still going good, covering a lot of miles, seeing a lot of things. Um, one thing we didn't talk about last week on our show was the legacy race in it was in Pahrump, I believe. So, so that was this last weekend, and it looked like Tanner Jacobson Ironman took the overall. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So he is uh, he is on Danny it. Cooper. The Danny Cooper bike was um, the only open pro for that race, and they ended up blowing a motor um, a little ways in. So, oh wow! Axel Pearson was on the bike, and it, it let go. So that's unfortunate. That's too bad. It's racing. Uh, yeah. So we got a couple races coming up. Our Moran Wild Bunch race out in Mercury is on February 25th. Uh, the Works race is in Delano on February 10th through the 12th in Delano. I think that is Honolulu Hills, if I'm correct. Um, their website is still not updated that good. So is that California? Yes, yes. Way up there by Bakersfield area, kinda. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um I guess that's about it. Um Oh King of the Hammers is this weekend. Best in the Desert's part of that, and so is the Mint. Um, I think the Mints made that one of their rounds. Best in the Deserts made it one of their rounds. So that's in California, I believe. Yeah, it's a zoo down there right now in the desert from what I hear. <laughs> yeah, there, it sounds like there's a lot of entries or a lot of people there. So kind of crazy. Yep. Um, and that is, yeah, that's this weekend, February 2nd through the 5th. It's the... I think in Lucerne, maybe I don't remember. Or yeah, uh, it's out there in out there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> Southern, Southern California, somewhere, middle of nowhere. Right, right. So, um, other than that, um, I know you're still probably getting ready for Baja. We've been working on our mint bike graphics and stuff. So, how's your Baja stuff coming? Nuts. Uh... Coming along, we're working on graphics designs. We're working on uh, just getting all the parts here so that we can start building the race bikes. Um, we got our, our light setups come. 
we got some exhausts in this week, grips, different stuff. So we're just waiting for all the parts to show up and start building bikes and then uh, go do some some testing and make sure everything's where we need it. So seems like seems like two months is a long time, but man, it'll be gone before we know it. And we got a lot of work to do. So just right. Running away fast. <laughs> yep. About a month and a half till we head down there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. Well, looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so exciting. Well, I think that's about all we got. To throw out there for our intro. Um, let's go see if we can't get uh, Tanner and Trent on the line and hear their story or Trent's story or Tanner's story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go. Sounds good. All right. Well, hang on, everybody, and let's go get them on the phone. All right. All right, everybody. We are on the phone with um, our sit-in extra co-hosts, Trent Sandoval, along here with uh, Corndog and Eric. And we have a guest sitting with Trent in Utah. And... uh, Privileged to have Tanner Janensky on the line with us to tell his story. How you doing, Tanner? Doing good. Glad to be here. All right. Well, it's pretty exciting. Uh, been looking and following you a little bit. And uh, you are the 2022 Baja Ironman Pro Champion, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Well, for us and our listeners, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us your story where you where you came from where the dirt bikes got into your life and kind of tell us some stories along the way and bring you up to date to today oh that's a lot of info there Um, (laughs) (laughs) i I started riding dirt bikes when uh well i started riding quads when I, i was about 18 months old my dad uh put me on a quad and let me control it and then I uh, got on dirt bike when I was about four and never really liked riding dirt bikes too much until I finally got on a big bike, uh, a 250. And then I could do a bunch of jumps on our motocross track. And I think within the, the first or second ride, I was doing all of the jumps. And that's when I really started liking riding dirt bikes. Um, so I, I grew up in Connecticut. And we didn't have anywhere to ride off-road. The only place we could ride was at our motocross track that my dad and I had been working on for for many years. And we were fortunate to have that. So that was a great thing. Um, and we have a freestyle ramp there. And uh, in 2015, we went on a recreational tour in, in Baja, just with a few friends. And one of the guides had mentioned that, oh, this is part of last year's Baja 1000 course. And I thought that sounded interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of decided that I wanted to, to race it solo. And my da- then my dad wanted to race it as well. So in 2015, we did our first Baja race together on a team. You, you teamed up with your dad? <clears throat> What what class was that? This is Trent, by the way. What class was that, Tanner, that you did the team race in in 2015? 
Yes, we were racing in the sport class uh, with just, just us two riders against uh, most of the other teams had about five or six riders. Gotcha. And what bike did you race? We raced a Honda, <clears throat> like a 2005 Honda 450X. There you go. So tell us about that first race. How did that go? <laughs> yeah, so from the beginning, just pre-running, we ran into all kinds of issues and we're just realizing how, how difficult the race is going to be. Um, on paper, you see, oh, it's a thousand miles, uh, but you don't realize how far that is until you, you start pre-running the course. So you, you ride the whole course uh, beforehand over four, five, six days, depending on how long it takes. And, and then you have to race it and essentially one on race. <laughs> so was this your guys first first race at all or first off-road race or yeah, had you guys uh, done some racing in, in uh, prior we had just done some minor local motocross races but I, I i stopped because i just didn't like racing motocross it, there's too much of a chance that other people will take you out and I was racing in a, a class where a lot of guys took me out too many times. So I just decided to stop. <laughs> um, but Baja is a, a different format where there's not a mass start and you really don't see people very often out there. It's, it's so far and everyone gets so, so spread out. Huh. Uh, so that the, the Baja was our first major race and uh, it was cool to be able to do it uh, together. So guys, you... one of the things that he had mentioned earlier when I was talking to him is, like he mentioned, he's from Connecticut, and he just recently moved to southern Utah nine months a year ago. And something interesting he said was, you can't, well, I'll ask you guys, how do you train for Baja when you live in Connecticut? You, you don't, because there's nowhere to ride for miles and miles and miles. So that's one of the disadvantages he had <clears throat> at his first race, actually his first four that we'll get into is he lived in Connecticut and it was hard to train on a bike, like physically, physical fitness. Yeah. You work at the gym, but training on, on the road, on the bike, there wasn't. Tell us about that, Tanner. I mean, like, how did you train or what? Did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, up until I had, as Trent said, I had nowhere to ride off road, um, Connecticut, there's really <laughs> no legal trails or really trails in general to, to ride on. So it's just motocross, which is completely different than off-road racing. Um, so there's no equivalent on the bike. Um, so I could do a lot of other physical fitness, and I trained really hard in CrossFit and various weightlifting and a ton of run, mountain biking and obstacle course racing, all kinds of things. But uh, definitely being on the bike makes a huge difference. <clears throat> Yeah, I can imagine. Even even if you had an open area to train, you probably had to fight with the the winter months or the the weather as well. It probably gets pretty cold and wintery wintery up there. Yeah, usually you can't ride from November to March. At least, <laughs> yeah. At least dirt bikes, right? Snowmobiles, different story. There's not even enough snow to ride. Oh, really? <laughs> it's just cold. <laughs> yeah, no trails. That's oh. Not- it's all trees or is it all trees or is it like mountainy or 
Uh, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of trees, rolling hills, and it's, it's just a lot of private land. And any public land, you're not allowed to ride on. Okay. So going, right. going back to your first race, um, I don't know if you finished that story, but if you did, what was the biggest lesson you learned or lessons you learned, being that that was your first Baja experience that you had learned to focus on for the next second race, third race, fourth race? Like, what did you learn? How, how did that go? What was the big learning point there? Great question. There's, uh, there's so much from the first race. Um, so ev almost every race after that, uh, my dad and I decided to both Ironman. So when you Ironman, it's, which means basically solo, it changes the game a lot. So you have to apply everything that you know, and then learn a lot more. So hmm. just everything from bike setup to gear to how um how you carry tools and what tools to carry so in the the first race when we were on a team i ended up uh hitting a rock a rock hit my my brake caliper and broke my brake caliper off and it was hitting the spokes in the middle of the night so i i couldn't ride so i basically had to i stopped uh and took my jersey off and smashed it between rocks to rip the sleeves off and make, <laughs> make a makeshift rope so I could tie it up to my upper fork too oh, wow. in order to <clears throat> just be able to ride it out of there. <laughs> and then, then, then that same race, my dad had, right before he gave the bike to me, he had hit a concrete curb thing and broke our lights off. Well, oh. not, not completely off, but cracked it and then by the time he gave it to me they kept rattling more and more and eventually they <laughs> fell off oh wow <laughs> so i had to take uh another uh jacket off that i had and tie the lights onto the bike with that <laughs> just to make it through so a lot of things like key bring zip ties yeah yeah or, <laughs> <laughs> or don't don't hit any obstacles yeah <laughs> Yeah, good luck in Baja. <laughs> right. So you mentioned what tools to carry. You kind of you mentioned, you know, zip ties. Anything else come to mind that you weren't carrying? And then also you said how to carry them. What do you mean by that? Yeah, just weight distribution on your body of, of where things are, uh, deciding how important something is um, in terms of if you want to carry that for the entire race because it's going to take a big toll on your body every little thing that you have adding weight mm -hmm. from all those whoops and bumps um so one one thing i learned in the most recent year is i, I use a fanny pack in addition to the backpack to get some of the weight just distributed a little um and just carry i carried a lot of tools this this past year mm -hmm. uh, compared to prior years but Things like quick steel in case you poke a hole in your case, um, just different tapes and various tools, um, just the basic stuff. Gotcha. Hey, um, Eric, backtrack and ask him two other questions and I'll let you guys chime in. So going back to this ride in Baja that you went on before you even raced, where was that? Just mostly northern Baja or the whole peninsula or what, what did that entail? Just curious. Yeah, I think it was a four-day tour through uh, northern Baja primarily. Gotcha. And just probably did 1,000 miles-ish, probably a couple hundred miles a day, something like that. Yeah, I want to say maybe 100 and, 100 and 
50 mile average days. Gotcha. And then jumping back to this first race in 2015, <laughs> how did you guys end up doing that race? Unless I missed that. Yeah. So that race, we, we ended up in a battle through all of our problems. We ended up in the lead and then we'd have a major problem that I talked about. And then we'd lose the lead. We'd be in third <laughs> and then we'd battle our and then have another major issue. Um, and that just kept repeating all the way to the finish line, really. So it, it came down to right, right down to the wire. And I passed the guy for the lead in the wash right before the finish line. So oh, wow. we ended up, and we actually have a, a movie about that experience on YouTube called Into the Dust. Oh, nice. <clears throat> So I, I know you were, that's the 1000 that you raced Well, That was the first one. So when you decided to go race Baja, you jumped right into the 1000. Absolutely. Wow. And jump in with both feet. <laughs> yeah. They, so. they kind of did it right though. They, I mean, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I've watched your movie on, on uh, YouTube and stuff, which good job on that. That was pretty impressive. Uh, just to pull that off, I'm sure it was a ton of work, but, um, you guys used Chris Haynes to kind of mentor you and, and give you guys some, some pretty significant input on strategy and logistics and all that. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Chris Haynes experience, uh, has been an integral part of us being able to be successful in Baja. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, somebody brand new uh, just wanted to show up and race Baja uh, with no experience. No, uh, how do you think that would go? Uh, not, not very well. A lot of people have tried. <laughs> I know a lot of people. Um, a lot of people have asked me advice in, in recent years. Uh, they want to Ironman the thousand. What should they do? <laughs> and uh, and then sometimes they, they just it's they significantly underestimate how difficult it is and they don't make it very far. Well, Hey guys, remember not, not to talk smack about Travis Pastrana, but remember he tried it and he didn't finish and he's, uh, yeah. but you know, so it's a tough <laughs> deal from what yeah, I, when people, <clears throat> when people ask me, I ask them if, have you raced the Heron Hound? Have you raced, you know, your local desert races? Have you raced, uh, you know, maybe, Vegas to Reno or Baja Nevada, one of the longer off-road races in the U.S. Like, and then times that by ten because Baja is rougher, it's more technical, it's longer, it's logistics are harder, uh, it's more remote, like, you know, all that. So, yeah, people underestimate it in a big way if if they've never been and experienced it. So the best way is to go down and and go down with somebody that's racing, experience being there experience the the country the the terrain and then transition into hopefully racing it you know so we he, he tanner mentioned or actually you brought it up eric the the her movies so i didn't really know a bunch about this and just asking him i got to know him and tanner jump in here what you know to correct but <clears throat> the gist of it is is his dad has a company back east and his company has a video department, a videography team. So he basically just brought that videography team 
first race in 2015 to document that race that he just told us about with the sportsman class with his dad. <clears throat> and that was the dust. And he got, in 2016, he got into the, the dust two, then 17, into the dust three, and then 2018, into the dust four. Um, that first race is the one, the only one that he did a team race with his dad. All the rest were Ironman. And from what he's telling me, number two and number three document his journey also. But apparently number four, which I haven't seen, is just your dad. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that's this. That's how those these movies come into play and what they document. So I, I wasn't quite yeah. sure of that, but just for the audience, that's um, yeah the history of the End of the Dust series and how they came to fruition. And you can find that on YouTube. Yep, those are all available on YouTube. Cool. And wow. if I remember right, Tanner, one of them hit uh, kind of the the mainstream uh, movie theaters there for a little bit, didn't it? When you guys uh, promoted it or released it? Yeah, it played in a local theater. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll have to check them out. I think I've heard of it, but I've <clears throat> actually, I think... I think that maybe we posted something about it a while back on our social media for some reason. It's ringing a bell, but we'll have to recheck that out and everybody go out and get on YouTube and watch these videos. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Tanner, tell us about 2016, which is what I believe was your first Ironman attempt and tell us how that went. Yeah. So first Ironman <clears throat> attempt, I was extremely excited to, to race this, uh, solo i wanted to see the, the challenge um I, I don't consider myself a very fast rider um but my specialty is endurance racing so I, I i do a lot of running endurance races and long obstacle course races um so and i also know how to ride a dirt bike so if you put those <laughs> together <laughs> what what suits me best is just riding a dirt bike for a really long time um if it was a hundred mile race there's no way i would um, so that was really exciting to get on the starting line and have, have the flag drop and, and get going. Um, and I learned really quickly how much more difficult riding the whole thing solo is than yeah. on a team of even two people. It's not twice as hard. It's about 30 times as hard, yeah. uh, mm. because the pain and suffering that you're experiencing is just compounding uh on top of itself over and over so you, you get to a point around 200 <clears throat> miles where you're you've you've been feeling pretty good up to that point and then you start not feeling so great <laughs> 300 <laughs> miles in you've hit an absolute wall and you don't know how you can possibly go on any further especially because you're not even halfway <laughs> <laughs> so that first year did you finish? Yeah. So first year I, I did end up finishing in uh, 28 and a half hours. Wow. Um, yeah. That was my next question. How long did it take you? 28 and a half. Hours. You guys are animals. <laughs> yeah, sure. So what, what, what place did you get? Um, I, so I thought it could, because in prior years, there was not many finishers for Ironman. Yeah. Um, but it was just starting to get popular. So I, I figured if, if I could just finish, I'd get top three for sure. Yeah. That year, 
a lot of people finished Uh-oh. and uh, I ended up in sixth. That's still, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Just, you know, I, I was telling him earlier, like just to be able to say you finished any Baja 1000 Ironman in my mind, I could care less what place you finished. I simply asked that for the, the viewers probably curious how you did, but that's just an accomplishment in itself. So it, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. What bike were you on in that race? I was on a Honda Sierra 450X. Okay. And then your dad Ironmaned also during that race? And how did he do? Yeah. So he unfortunately hurt his neck at, at about mile 200. Um, so he was in a lot of pain and he ended up making it to mile 600 uh, where, where he had to stop there. Mm. So was he okay though? Like, yeah, he had whiplash. He he kind of <clears throat> came over a rise and like dug the front wheel into a mm-hmm. a little ditch, um, and kind of stopped the bike. So his, his neck uh, snapped forward and it took took about a year to heal. Okay, what, so was he off of the bike how long? A year or a couple months or? Uh, no, it was just more of a, a nagging injury. Yeah, gosh. rather gotcha. than uh, something preventing him from riding. Gotcha. So that takes us into 2017, which would be your second Ironman and your third race ever total. Is that about right? Yeah, correct. Okay, so tell us about that race, what bike you're on and how, how that whole thing went. Uh, so same bike, Honda Sierra 450X. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, both time trying to finish. I was trying to finish for the second time and he was trying to get his first Ironman finish. Um, I unfortunately had pretty bad luck right before which the race, which you can doubt about in the movie. Um, but I'm extremely allergic to peanuts, like anaphylaxis level. And I have to accidentally eat some sauce down in Mexico. That, uh, oh, no. A salsa that had peanuts in it. When was it before the morning of? That was uh, the day before the race. So... So I was in the ER oh. the day before the race and uh, with a 1,134-mile course laid out. And, it, and that I didn't even pre-run because the first day for that course, I hit, I got my foot caught between a, a rock ledge and the foot peg and injured my Achilles tendon pretty bad. And my whole foot was purple and I couldn't even ride the rest of the trip. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, I was going into this blind, so I was just having really bad luck right from the beginning. Um, so I ended up not being able to sleep before the race and my body was really messed up in the, uh-huh. the, the, the rea- my allergic reaction kept kind of recurring uh-huh. strangely. And my body was just had a, a huge toll taken on it and I made it. I was doing pretty good in the beginning, but it wasn't able to to fight it. So I made it about 600 and 607 miles, and then I had to stop. I couldn't even stand up. I was falling over. Just, in, just out of energy, body weak, maybe incoherent. Just I, done. I, I physically couldn't control the bike. Just done. Yeah. But it, even 600-something miles with all that you went through, wow. It, yeah. And that's just unfortunate crappy luck let's just say it <laughs> you know, the whole yeah thing and getting hurt on your you're hurting your ankle so was that you know i i think i know the answer was that like extremely hard to throw on the 
or were you just over it at that point? Like, I don't even care. I'm, I cannot even function. Like, how did that go? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's, I, I guess, I guess I was extremely disappointed, but in, in the moment you're, you're happy just to not be on the bike because yeah. it, it, let's face it in Baja, you could die at any moment. Yeah. It's so dangerous. Um, and especially at that point, trophy trucks coming through and they've hit people, <clears throat> run people over. Um, yeah. so there's a lot of extra hazards. And when you're not at a level where you can focus on everything that's going on, it just gets really dangerous. So I was happy to be able to avoid that danger, but then also extremely disappointed in, in the result. Gotcha. Yeah. Was it something that you decided or was it your pit crew said, Hey, you're not going back out or is it a mutual uh, decision? Uh, yeah. So I, I just kind of laid down on the ground and in a, one of the chase vehicles for a little while. And my, uh, my mechanic ended up saying, yeah, you, you shouldn't get back on the bike. <laughs> okay. I agreed. So. Yeah. Probably, probably a good call. So then, Tanner, you've you've gone back several times since then. And what is it that keeps drawing you back down there? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So so my my dad has since returned in 2018. Uh, I did not race that year um, for some logistical reasons, but. Um, he ended up finishing. So we became the, the first father, son, Ironman finishers. That's awesome. That. And what's your dad's name? Uh, Larry. Larry. Okay. So it, it's kind of hard <clears throat> to say what, what keeps drawing us back is, and I would say it's just, just the challenge. Um, I don't, I don't do any other small races or anything or, or local races. I, I I just do ones that are really difficult <laughs> and hard. <laughs> I, I want want it to be an accomplishment just to finish it. So I, I'm I'm attracted to challenges. Okay. So you, you sound kind of like me, and then the viewers will know from the previous podcast when Eric and me. I'm kind of the same boat where I've been kind of put on restriction from racing for the last 10 years from the wife because I had some pretty significant injuries and I'm getting ready to race Romaniacs. So I'm kind of like you. I'm just going for the granddaddy of them all just right off the get-go. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean, I'm talking about Tanner now. That's just awesome that has the mental fortitude and just physical ability and desire just to, you know, I'm not messing around with any of these little races. I'm just going to go do the one of the hardest races in the world. That's commendable. That's awesome. Right. <clears throat> so, Tanner, yeah. did you move to Utah? So you can train better or was there another reason? Um, I, I moved to Utah primarily just for the outdoor activities. So that includes riding dirt bikes, um, but not necessarily training for anything particular. I just, I just like riding. Um, I like riding in the desert terrain and just mountains and all kinds of outdoor stuff. But a, a benefit was it certainly did help <laughs> with, yeah. with, for the 22, 1,000. So you, you move, well, ignore the moving question. So after that, that was 2018, you didn't race, your dad did, he finished, you guys are the first father and son Ironman finishers, which is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Now, what, 
And then 2019, you raced just the 500? Yeah, so 2019, I raced uh, the 500. In 18, I did race the 500 as well. Okay. Um, How did those years go, both of those? So the, the 2019 Baja 1000 was a really fun one. Uh, me and two other uh, really great competitors were battling the entire race, like from the beginning. Um, and we ended up, I was running in second for most of the race. And then right, right before the finish line, uh, me and, uh, Jose R. Carrasco, uh, who's a great Ironman racer, we ended up racing to the finish and we crossed the finish line about one second apart. Wow. So, and I ended up getting the, getting the win there. Um, that was that was a really cool race, and then came back that year, raced a thousand. Oh, and that was the five hundred you just yeah, that about. was the five hundred. Okay. And then in the thousand, um, I had already finished Ironman, so I, my goal was to do well. So that's one of the reasons I, I keep going back is to try to mm-hmm. try to get a win. Um, and that, that was my goal, and I I tried my absolute best that was the most pain i've ever been in wow. in my life for for so long at one point i thought i was going to die of hypothermia uh, mm. it was so cold i had to keep stopping in the middle of a race to warm up at people's fires in the middle of the night <laughs> <laughs> 20, 2019 that was the year that it rained for two days before the race and the course was all wet that's right yeah crazy yeah, yeah. going through puddles with ice all over them yeah uh, and up in the, the plateau area and it was just really, really cold. But anyway, I fought, fought pretty hard and eventually I got second in that race. Awesome. What about the 2018 1000? I don't think you mentioned, or you, did, didn't, you didn't race anything in 2018? So 19, I, you did the 500. I did the, I did the 500 in 2008. Okay. And then, so you got, you won the 500 and then got second in 1000 in 2019. Gotcha. And then after that, your next race, from what I was told, was the Vegas Torino in 2019-ish, 2020. Is that right? Uh, 20- yeah, I, I raced the San Felipe 250 on, on a team with my dad and, and my uncle. How'd that actually. go? Uh, not, I, I, I crashed really, really hard at mile oh. 30, like mile an hour, just yard sale into oh. rocks. <laughs> I hit oh. a rock, broke both of the wheels, broke subframe just destroyed the bike destroyed my body uh, it, so we didn't do too well in that one broken bone or you walked away no uh i had five miles out of there no. i didn't have a choice <laughs> but oh. uh, i could barely even ride it it, it was you got smashed up pretty good so that was a 250 and then you got vegas torino next yeah so vegas torino i did in 2022 <clears throat> this past oh, year okay i actually got um I got a, a, a chance to a, a different brand bike that I'm not used to. Um, so I, I said I would ride it and uh, it eventually so well because I had uh, some mechanical problems and the, the bike wasn't able to get to the finish line. So a DNF. Yeah. Not because of physical fitness or mental fortitude. It just said the bike didn't make it. Yeah, and in the beginning, I stopped to help uh, a downed rider with um, 
broken shoulder blade and bad concussion and gashed open elbow. So gotcha. I, I stopped for about a half hour right in the beginning. So I was in dead last. Was able to make up a lot of ground and I probably would have finished. And uh, But yeah, right. uh, the bike was had boiled out all of its so I was going about 70 miles an hour and, and just all the, yeah, <laughs> most of the power just disappeared. Yeah. And so I kept trying to nurse it to the finish line, just trying to get it, get it there. I had to keep stopping. And if I saw a pit, I'd pour some water on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, limping on, huh? Yeah. Just keep stopping, letting it cool, stop it, let it cool. And eventually the oil boiled out of the breather hose in the air box. I think you just so outrode this bike. You were too good of a ride. <laughs> yeah. Tanner, was that your was that your first Vegas Torino? Yeah, that was my first Vegas Torino. So so how did that compare to Baja five hundred or Baja one thousand? So I was told by other racers that that year was the roughest Vegas Torino because a bunch of rain rerouted the course, washed it out. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was like a parking lot it was <laughs> way easier than baja oh really yeah yeah baja's way rougher than uh vegas Torino. just as yeah. a, so as obviously a... i go ahead eric i was gonna say obviously i, I know the answer to that because i raced both of those and um i was gonna ask, or was it like whoops is there did whoops have to do anything to do with it baja has a ton of whoops vegas Torino, no or just just was easy Either way, I, th I think we just lost Eric, but we can continue. Maybe he'll sign back in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, Vegas you know, is mostly graded roads. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that made it difficult this year was, again, the rain washouts, which okay. actually like rougher stuff. Yeah. You so I, I would pass bikes left and right and that stuff. But um, there's not really Vegas Torino. Um, Baja is loaded. So you could have a, a whoop section that's 140 miles long. Gotcha. So this Vegas arena we're talking about is 2022, and it's the one you had the bike problem and did not finish, right? Yeah. Okay. So that brings us, I believe, unless there's something in between, to the 2022 Baja 1000, which was back in November, three months ago, right? So why don't you walk us through that whole process, the, the train out now I believe you have moved out to St. George at this point, right? So how did your training go? How did that differ versus before? Tell us about bike prep, what bike you rode. Just give us the whole story about that whole Baja 1000. Yeah, so I, I kind of decided late to, to even race because just other, other things going on with work. It's just, it's a huge time commitment. Um, so decided pretty late and then decided that I should probably not race my current bike that has 100 hours on it uh so, so i got a, a new one um because i figured it'd be easier and cheaper to to build a new one rather than trying to replace all the parts on my old one um so i used my old one as the pre-runner and got a ktm uh, 450 xcfw to race on and it was the first year that I, I built my own race bike. Uh, prior, uh, Chris, Chris Haynes' team was building it, and they do a fantastic job. So I was able to carry over a lot of their knowledge, and I, I got a lot of advice from Chris how to set things up. Um, so the first year racing 
something other than a Honda. <laughs> um, and I then training wise, I, I'd go out testing every time I, I would ride, I would test something, either testing a new part on the bike or testing a new piece of gear on my body um, in different weather conditions. Um, Cause that's one of the biggest things I learned from previous Baja 1000s is how cold it gets. Uh-huh. So I, I tested with all kinds of in the day also, or just at night. Um, could be both, but it's usually at night. It, it depends on the time of day, where you are geographically and your elevation. And then of course it's weather rain dry. You know, yeah, I got you. Yeah. So training, I would go out, um, as, as far as the gas tank would take me, uh, plus whatever I could fit in my backpack and fuel bottles. And I even stash gas out so I can do some even longer rides, uh, do about a hundred miles, most of it in the dark. Um, just pretty much every night. <laughs> gotcha. Did you find a uh, real quick, a specific question? Did you find a certain, you can or don't have to mention light brands, but did you find a certain type or color? better versus like what what is ultimately like would you end up using what type of light led dual beams like tell us about that yeah so in the first year we used uh hids which big like eight inch round dual light setup and heavy uh so after that we used baja designs um leds these two Mm. two squadron or I'm sorry, they're XL Pros. And this year, I kind of made a completely custom light setup using Baja Design lights. Um, and I designed parts and 3D printed them oh, wow. um, in order to make a, a custom light setup with three Baja Designs lights. And I experimented with every lens for the lights and every color and uh, came up with a solution that worked pretty good because most yeah so Mm. led white just the normal white or did you do a colored lens um i have one that was amber because Mm -hmm. when you're racing in in the dust at night Mm -hmm. the white is harder to see because it just reflects off all the dust so i would shut off my other lights i wired all separate circuits i even put redundant circuits in case my lights went out because i've had that happen in Years as my lights go out in the middle of the night, blowing fuses, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, if I get into the off my, my two uh, white lights, run. And did you end up using three XL Pros or different Baja Design lights? I have Pro and two Squadron Pros. Okay. So mm. I don't know. Did Eric make it back on yet? I'm back. Can you guys hear me? What I was going to say. Okay. What I was going to say. Do you know, go and train at night, you know, period, and or stash gas. So they're using, you know, going 100 miles and then getting to their stash gas, add more gas and going another 50 or 100. I mean, because let's face it, at night's going to be your hardest and worst, you know, not worst riding, but your hardest riding. So if you can do it at night, then you should be good in the day. But that's dedicated. So you're putting in hundreds, and I just asked me when I when I got here earlier, like in in the middle of your training, how many miles a week were you doing? He says about 500 miles a week. That's some uh, legit. Yeah. 
A lot, a lot of training. So you talked about your training. Um, all right, so get us to the race. So you, you enter the race and maybe just start walking us through the race itself, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we definitely don't have enough time in a Baja 1000 race. It's, it's so eventful. <laughs> so many things that happen. But um, yeah, we started in, we basically wake up around 1230 in the morning yeah, <laughs> to get to staging and the race uh, you got to be in staging at like two in the morning or something and then uh there's a, a ceremonial start and then they lead everyone out to the main start uh which is outside of town now because of safety issues in the past some trophy trucks uh, end up injuring some spectators mm -hmm. so they they moved it now the official course timing loop but yeah, get going. And I started, there was a field of 23 Ironman. So it was the biggest Ironman class ever. And mm. was to win. Um, and <laughs> the, the top competitors from prior years were back this year to race it. Like the most difficult competition uh, <laughs> of any year. So I, I, I looked at the, the caliber of riders and, and then I thought, oh man, if, if I could even just get the top five, I'd be happy. <laughs> um, so I just rode, rode my own race in the beginning. I passed just tons and tons of bikes in the dust. The dust is horrible in the beginning. Um, and eventually made my way down uh, the Los Pinos summit, which is just the rocks and passed a few more bikes there made it to mile uh, at 367 i came across a a rider laying on the ground um in the middle hmm. of the and is this in the day or at night so this is in the middle of the day and he he was just laying there motionless another rider was stopped already uh, there, so I'm I'm looking at what's going on, at, and I start to pull off the course when I hit a a huge rock about 18 inches high, just square edge that I didn't okay. see, and I go over the bars. Bike lands on top of me. Um, I was only doing about 30 when I hit it, slowing down from 70 plus, oh. uh, and my face smashes into the ground, and I'm my nose is bleeding, my face is bleeding. But I, I, I get up and uh, immediately check on this rider who was down. Um, turns out to be the 500X team. Um, and he had hit the very same rock that I hit. Rock was the same exact color as the sand. It was in a sand wash in a canyon. And the rock was perfectly lined up in a shadow. Is extremely difficult to see. It's like every Baja racer's worst nightmare. Um, a lot of times you'll hit rocks at high speed that you won't even see, but they're they're small enough that they. Well, this one, <clears throat> there's no way anyone's riding over this at seventy miles an hour, yeah. <laughs> and huh. being okay. So unfortunately, it, it really messed up this rider, and uh, he had two broken arms, um, like bones sticking out of the skin it, it, it was not not a good situation I had a broken back broken neck uh, a bunch of broken ribs 
so the guy was hurt pretty bad, Trent and Tanner. Yeah. So he had hit a the massive rock, and he was uh, laying there in the middle of the course with two broken arms, broken back, broken neck. Um, I think seven broken ribs, broken femur, broken pelvis, basically oh, as messed up as you could possibly be in addition to a dislocated hip and shoulder. So he, he was basically completely unable to move. Um, and then the other rider who, who stopped Vance, Vance Kennedy, um, ended up, uh, going, taking off down the course to go, uh, tell the next person that we needed some help. And I had called a helicopter on the sat phone that I had in my, my pack. Um, oh, I had actually called for help and a, a UTV initially. And, and uh, the rider who was down, Giovanni, said uh, he, he, he couldn't ride in a UTV. I wasn't really sure the extent of his injuries, um, but he needed a helicopter. So I called back on the sat phone and arranged for a helicopter to come uh, pick him up. And then I, I waited there and just tried to flag down every other rider that, that came by on a, a bike or quad and make sure they didn't hit him because he's in the middle of the course and uh, just give him uh, water from his camelback laying there in the hot sun and was un unable to, to move anything really. Wow. And then helicopter shows up and and fortunately there was a good spot to land not too far and then helped um help the medics with the the bandaging and getting him on the stretcher and and then eventually loading him into the helicopter because there was only two the pilot and the and the medic um and they wouldn't have been able to get him in there themselves um and then finally took off and and got him to to some help and wasn't really sure what happens after that so i just just got back on my bike and, and uh, took off down the course obviously a bit shaken after seeing somebody that injured and knowing that could happen to anybody in fact it did happen to me on the same rock that he hit <laughs> mm, wow it's it's just a reminder you could have be having the greatest race of your life and in an instant uh you could be you know seriously injured or dead um so that that's all part of racing baja and, and i'm terrified every time i race now in fact this this race i was more scared than ever i mentioned before the first time i was excited this time i was terrified um, because i know what's coming <laughs> Right. So what what was his first and last name? Giovanni what? It was Giovanni Spinali. And you mentioned something to me that I didn't know. How did he do for the year, even with that crash? Yeah, even with his, his crash, he's uh, such a good rider that he had enough points and he won his uh his the the season in his class. Um, number oh. one. Right? Yeah. Wow. And then what's the latest update with him and his injuries? Yeah, as of uh, a few days ago, he's he's up and walking, so that's great to see. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. So you get on your bike and you take off. So now what? Yeah, so when I stopped, I was in second place. Um, I worked my way up to second, and I had the... <laughs> 
the the weird experience of just being essentially unable to do anything because I'm not going to leave an injured person in the course and 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 watching all of my main competitors come by and, and you know one after the other so by the time I got going again I was in fifth um how many minutes or hours behind at this point yeah o- over an hour and a half behind um at this point and it, it was just just hard to get back into the flow as I mentioned after that um, but I just had to do what I could. So I, I kept going and then I, I thought I had missed a fuel pit. Um, so I was doing the math saying, oh, can I get the next one? Well, it turns out that the fuel pit was about 11 miles away from where it was supposed to be. So you um, didn't miss it. Right. I didn't miss it, but I, when you're 10 miles past where you thought it was, <laughs> yeah. you're pretty sure yeah, you missed it. Um, so that, that could ruin your race right there, but got gas. And then I was able to, as, as the sun set, um, I did actually have to stop and change my goggles because I had tinted goggles on because the Baja sun. Yeah, you absolutely need them. But I, I just had a, a weird feeling at my last pit when I saw my crew and I asked them to throw a set of clear goggles in my backpack. And that was a, a good thing because I ended up having to stop and change because I lost an hour and a half. That was not in our, our race plan. That's cool. Stopping to help Giovanni. Um, so just got some clear goggles on. I could see at night now. And what, what mile are you at at this point, roughly? I don't know, 400 and oh, wow. something. So you still got a long ways to go. Yeah. And then I, I was able to... I came across a rider who I had met pre-running. I gave him gas because <laughs> um, he was out of gas, uh, Fabricio Fuentes. Um, and he was one of my main competitors and he was riding good. I, I passed him in the high-speed whoop sections. So now I'm up to fourth, find my chase crew, pull in. Super quick pit, uh, change my wheels because the mooses in there get soft um, and you don't want any problems later on. Took off down Mike's Road in the middle of the night uh, by Mike's Sky Ranch. And it was starting to get really cold again at this point. Um, I had a, a thermometer on my backpack that reads wirelessly to my GPS. So I could see the temperature at all times and that kind of told me what I should be wearing layer-wise with all the testing I did with different jackets and everything. Hmm. Um, and at, at one point in the race, it was 18 degrees Fahrenheit. It was oh. well below freezing. It, it was insanely cold. I had to keep putting one hand behind the radiator, my left hand behind the radiator, and then taking my right hand off the throttle as I was braking, going into corners and putting it behind the exhaust. And that's how I managed to maintain feeling in my hands. Eric, that's, that's, that's like Panaka and Caliente cold right there, brother. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was on the bike yeah, this year. A good part of the race was below freezing. It was really cold race. Um, but uh, at, around Mike Sky Ranch, I got passed by my first trophy truck. So in my race plan, I was initially expecting to potentially not get passed by any trophy trucks. Um, but the hour and a half delay set me back. Um, so they caught me pretty early around race mile 495. Um, 
it was one and then and then the next one and you got to pull off in the dust because you don't want to ride it in their dust because they could ride in each other's dust just based on gps they have a co-driver telling them where to turn uh and they won't see you in that dust so you can get run over pretty easy mm. uh, and you can't see the course and it was a really unfortunate time where they passed me because it was extremely silty and the silt just hung in the air and there was no wind. It was just like cold, stale air. And the, the dust was just hanging there. So I could only go 10 miles an hour for about 10 minutes. <laughs> I was getting really frustrated and I thought about it. Well, there's no way I'm going to do well in this race because the leaders are, are long gone. And they don't have to deal with this. Uh, or they won't for quite a while, but I just continued riding my own race and, um, eventually made it to the other side of the, the peninsula to the Pacific side and asked my team, you know, where, what position am I in? How far behind am I behind, you know, seven fifteen X and what they say guys, um, they told me they, they weren't really sure, <laughs> but they said, uh, one guy's like 20 minutes ahead. Um, so you thought you were in fourth physically? Is that what you were guessing? I really had no idea because I was passing so many bikes. I uh, don't know who was who. Yeah, but I would pass them so quickly that I didn't have time to look over at their number plate. And it was in the dark, too. So I didn't know who I was passing. But I, I know it wouldn't have been some of the, the top Ironman riders because they're, they're really fast. And I wouldn't have caught them that quick. Um, so you ask your picker and they're like, don't worry about it. They slapped you on the butt, filled you full of fuel and told you to get going, huh? <laughs> yeah well they didn't really know i i told them in advance before the race like some riders you you kind of should withhold information if they're going to do something stupid but i'm i'm pretty cool-headed and and i just want to know because it can play into strategy i'm not gonna do something something stupid but um it's it's useful to know so i i told them tell me the truth where the other guys are <laughs> so they did but they just didn't know gotcha. so i kept just kept racing and got to a few few more of my pits just through the night and the strange thing was normally i'd, I'd hit a wall around well there's definitely a hard wall at like 350 and then around 500 600 you just keep hitting walls but for some some reason this year i was able to just push through those and I got faster throughout the race. I just kept riding better and better. So um, a negative split for you <laughs> marathon runners out there. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm not sure how just, just despite the fatigue and cold and, and all the pain and, and everything. And when I had crashed, uh, pulling off to help Giovanni, I hurt my back as well. Um, and it just, just, I had all kinds of little nagging injuries bothering me, but I was just able to keep keep pushing. So you keep pushing, and how did that race end up? Anything else interesting, or walk us through the finish line and how that went down? <laughs> so I ended up skipping, like just giving a thumbs up to my chase crew in a lot of our planned pit stops, because I knew if I wanted any chance of catching the leaders, I could not stop for anything. So I didn't. Um, I just gave my crew a thumbs up and, and just took off. Wow. So I, I got to my last scheduled pit stop and I went to pull over just to tell them all good. And I see one of my, my chase crew, Oscar, 
uh, he is just screaming at me, go, 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 go. <laughs> so that, that, that kind of told me that there was somebody right in front of me that I was catching. And there was only about like 30, 35 miles left. So I didn't know if it was the leader or, or who it was, but I just kept riding and I passed, I don't know, maybe four, five, six, seven bikes in that last section. I don't know who they were, <laughs> but all I knew is I just got to get to the finish line as soon as I can. And uh, so that's what I did and got to the, the official course time finish. What time of day roughly was this? This was about uh, four, four or five in the morning. Okay, so, so you're at night still. Basically. Yeah, still pitch black. Um, and I got to the official course finish, took a minute to catch my breath, and then rode through town to the official finish line where all the, the fanfare is. And I see there's another Ironman rider right in front of me uh, at pulling onto the podium uh, right before me. <laughs> so he had gotten to the finish line just in front of me. Um, but he had also started the race because he was one of the points leaders. He started the race way before me. So on actual course time, uh, I had the fastest time by 24 seconds. Wow. And so at this point, we didn't know who won. We had to wait till the official results came out. And in Baja, you can miss uh, virtual checkpoints where you get a 10-minute penalty or you can have speeding penalties. So you never really know who, who's the official winner until the official results come out and all penalties are added. Um, so it, it turned out that I, I did get the, the official win by about an hour and 25 minutes. Or an hour. Um, wow. The time that I had stopped, score had actually credited back as a, a, a good Samaritan time credit. So I, I didn't realize they were going to do that. <laughs> so that I, I was, was going to ask you that if you got credited for that. So yeah, you answered, you answered my question before I got to ask you. <laughs> Yeah, that's, so that's good. I didn't realize they were going to do that. I was charging, trying to be the, the first on time. Um, and it, it was kind of cool to be able to be the first on time. And then with the additional time credit, just kind of extended the lead. So finally had achieved my goal of winning the Pro Ironman in Baja. That's, that's awesome. That's phenomenal. Congratulations on that. And just to be clear... Corn dog and Eric. He won on straight up time, and then they credited him the hour and a half later. So he that is amazing. Even with the hour and a half loss, you know it's not a loss because he helped and did the thing that he should have done. And I know that we all would do that. Correct. He straight up won even with that hour and a half not taken into account. That's just an amazing accomplishment. That's that's awesome. Just congratulations on that. Yeah, that's just amazing. So you get to the finish line and, you know, you ultimately found out that you won. And I mean, was that an emotional time? Like, I mean, I, I probably would have cried if once I found out, like, did you get pretty emotional? You're kind of like, I'm so tired. I can't even think like, how did that go down? Well, I didn't find out the official results till the, the next day. Mm -hmm. um, so I just after the race, 
just congratulate a few people and, and that you see there and, and other Ironman riders who had dropped out uh, and drove back to the finish line. Mm -hmm. Just talk to them a little bit and then just go back to go back to the hotel, take a take a shower and, and go to bed. Hopefully sleep, sleep for a day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> realized like my my face from when I crashed was pretty gashed open. And oh. I, I got a scar there now. Gotcha. Um, but uh, yeah, just just a little recovery and then wait for my dad's team, who is actually racing a UTV this year. So they had uh, some issues early on. They lost a wheel. <laughs> wow. Had four hours of making repairs. So they uh, was watching them on the track and got to the finish line to watch them come in as well. So on your recovery, what if of any of these was the hardest? Getting rehydrated, getting nutrition, soreness, or just mentally just drained? Like what did you find was the biggest drain on from your race on your body what was it yeah so the the first year that i ironman i it took my hands three months to gain strength wow um and after several of these races my forearms turned purple not from getting Hit. impacted yeah. but just from exertion just the muscles break down so much mm -hmm. And there's a, a, a real danger of a condition called rhabdomyolysis that I was a little concerned about because I was feeling really, really bad after, after the race for the, the, a few days or weeks, really. And I got kind of flu-like symptoms, and I was just feeling awful in every way. <laughs> so it, it's really hard to recover from something like that, especially because when I was able to keep pushing, even when my body was screaming stop in every way it, it it takes a toll that you're almost borrowing energy from the future oh, <laughs> it yeah. takes a long time to recover from to look it. at it so just basically everything took time and it sucked to heal up yeah hands hands are definitely the thing that hurts the most and gotcha. then uh your back too and legs really everything gotcha. had you wrapped or taped your hands or just straight up gloves um, I, for blisters, I had put some <laughs> electrical tape on my fingers, believe it or not, uh, to just help with some of the blisters, but I still had massive blisters yeah. on my hands after everywhere, basically. Yeah. But that's not even what, what hurts the most. It's just yeah. the exertion from holding on for, for so long. Wow. And, and the course was really choppy too this year from all the trucks pre-running and the the trucks are just getting more powerful. Like they have over a thousand horsepower now and they just destroy the course, especially yeah. because quite a few of them passed me because I got, um, yeah. I got that delay. So, so more passed me than anticipated and they just chew the course up like crazy. So it's, it's like wow. you're just riding on intense washboard on top of everything from the trucks. So you're having to deal with their dust and the aftermath of what they leave after they run over the course. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So did you become you you were the the series champion for 2022 or just the Baja? No, just the Baja 1000. It's the only race I raced this year. Okay. Um, but having finished also, regardless of position, I was the 
the second person to ever Iron Man and finish three times. That's oh, awesome. wow. That's it awesome. is, but the first person, uh, got to give him huge credit, Jeff Benrod. He's an amazing rider. So how many more do you have to finish before you get the number one guy? How many uh, has he done? Well, we're, we're tied for the lead. <laughs> oh, so both of you have finished three? Yeah, no, nobody's ever finished it four times. Oh, well, here you go. Next year, baby. <laughs> so Eric, Eric, what are your... Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. So, yeah, <laughs> chime in with your guys' questions, because I got a list of about seven or eight questions, pointed questions I want to ask him, but you guys chime in with whatever you got. I don't want to steal all the airtime. I was going to ask, what what's your your goals for 2023 now are you, are you thinking about just doing the 1000 again or are you thinking about doing the whole series no i don't want to make baja racing a regular habit because it is so dangerous and the more you race the more chance you're going to get hurt or die uh it's it might sound extreme but that's that's the way it is that's the truth. unfortunately just about every year in the baja 1000 somebody dies yeah so i just want to minimize the odds of, of that happening to me so um i don't really have any specific race goals i don't even consider myself like a dirt bike racer what to <laughs> healthy and have fun and, and do things that's in business or running or riding a dirt bike um i just like to keep riding a dirt bike fun so I like to have fun out here in the desert and it's just great to be able to ride with some great people here that's great um in terms of goals for 2023 i do have some other goals uh not related to riding a dirt bike <laughs> but um i'd like to run a my first 100 mile trail race that's awesome running like on foot yeah <laughs> oh awesome <laughs> And, uh, and also I did start, uh, dabbling in a little bit of hard enduro for the first time, uh, thanks to a lot of people, including Trent. Um, <laughs> and I somewhat foolishly signed up for grinding stone. Oh, cool. It'll be a good experience, man. So I, I'm a complete novice at, at that type of riding. So, but it's just a challenge. Yeah. I don't expect to do yeah. well, but. Like I said, I just like like the challenge. Yeah, you got it. There's a first time to do any type of riding and racing, right? And until you do it, you don't know what to train or practice for for the next time. So I didn't know that. That's awesome. You're signed up, and I'm jealous too because I'm not signed up. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, Eric. You got any questions that you're waiting to ask? Um, or Dave? Well, Come yeah. Have you got I, any more? You guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. I can. Okay, ahead, Eric. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Uh, I can't hear Eric. Why? While you guys get that figured out, I'm going to ask Tanner some specific questions. Um, summarize a lot of these will all be kind of summarizations. Tell us about nutrition prep and during the race. Like, what did you learn and what did you do for nutrition and hydration at the same time? Yeah, I've been studying health and fitness for many years now. And what I found works the best is training your body to be metabolically flexible. Um, and the best way to do that is to train your body to burn fat as fuel. So I generally, uh, ketogenic diet 
Um, and I also measure my metabolism uh, daily. And different forms of exercise and different intensities can allow your body to burn um, fatty acids rather than muscle glycogen as fuel. So basically burning fat instead of carbs, because uh, we tend to default to carbs. But the problem with that is your energy can fluctuate up and down a lot. And if you don't have the necessary uh, glucose in your body to fuel your endurance activities and your body doesn't know how to be metabolically flexible and burn fat, then you're going to crash. So the on, goal your, on your bike? No, <laughs> <laughs> crash energy wise. And in the Baja 1000, that you don't want that to happen. So right. um, I generally train at a, like running at a lower intensity in combination with the, the ketogenic eating. I, I've been able to train my body to burn fat as fuel and actually slow my metabolism. Um, so that's a big subject, but I don't want yeah, yeah, to get yeah. too far. So that. in basic terms, what does ketogenic mean? Um, so you get most of your calories from fat, okay. like certain healthy fats right. rather than carbohydrates, <laughs> or no grains or anything like gotcha. that. And, and during the race, give us examples of the foods, the foods you were eating. Yeah. So during the race, when you do a race, it's, that's when you can change what you eat. You don't have to eat okay. during the race because okay. during a, uh, a high intensity, um, or even endurance race, you can fuel that mostly with muscle glycogen in addition to your fat. Um, so I would eat something that was convenient. So I changed it up this year compared to prior years because I didn't want to stop to eat at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't spend even two yeah. seconds eating in the pit. Um, I would basically eat um, nutrition bars of various kinds while I was riding. Uh oh, yeah. taking advantage of the time and the movement forward. Yeah, so I would have my crew cut off the top of the wrappers on these mm -hmm. uh, energy bars, and I would just pull them out of my backpack while I'm riding and, <laughs> and eat them. Like, wow. which were they? What ones did you like? Um, different, different ones like RX bars, macro bars, and gotcha. lar bars, and stuff like that. So ones about, with no peanuts. Yeah, yeah. no peanuts. <laughs> peanuts allowed. So what about hydration? How often and what were you using, if other than just water? Yeah, I, I've been experimenting through my other endurance racing with different mixes of electrolytes and found a good electrolyte mix that works for me. So I, I use the raw ingredients and uh, augment other electrolyte powders. Uh, so just water and electrolytes primarily, gotcha. uh, but the right blend for my body based on uh, how my body uses them. Gotcha. Do, do you care, would you share like what brand of electrolytes you like or like which one would you like or use? Like I said, it's just the raw ingredients. So like- You make your own basically? Yeah, magnesium, malate, potassium citrate, salt. Oh, okay. Um, so you make your own specific to your body and what you've learned. Yeah. yeah. I've also learned from other endurance racing that electrolyte imbalance later in a race is, could be a really severe problem. I've run into that in a lot of running races. Uh, your body will just start cramping in yeah, unbelievable sure. ways. <laughs> gotcha. 
What was the hardest part of the whole race physically? I've heard of different answers. I'm curious what your answer is. Is there one or is there like a top three that all were kind of the suckiest part of it? Uh, in terms of terrain? No, physically on your body or like what was the physically hardest part of the race? Or it could be terrain, I guess, like just the roughness of the course. Yeah. Um, obviously, your, your fatigue is going to be biased towards the end of the race. There's a, a section that was just silt and rocks and hills um, near European that was just destroyed. <laughs> wow. that, that was pretty tough. Um, also, the San Felipe whoops are horrible. They're yeah. just like three, four foot whoops that are just made of rocks. <laughs> so those are, those are, yeah. there's like bowling ball sized rocks in the middle of the whoops and just loose. <laughs> uh, so that that's hard on your hands to hold on and just the, your whole body because yeah. you're riding whoops. So corn dog, I was sharing with Tanner. Um, oh, this got to be 15, 20 years ago. Me and Kellen Walsh were down in San Felipe pre-running the 1000. And we just out of pure coincidence, we ran into Mouse McCoy. Remember him from the movie? Uh -huh. Yep, Mouse. We into, yeah, we ran into him at the, a restaurant in San Felipe. He was in there with his dad. And we just went and had dinner with him. And that's after he had already made the movie. And what he said the hardest part was, and I was curious what Tanner's thoughts are on this. He says the hydration wasn't, that bad the nutrition wasn't that bad his physical exertion wasn't that bad he said the suckiest part was going from sweating hot to freezing cold like you're in a tight section and then you get on a highway and go you know 80 miles an hour for 20 miles and you're all sweaty and it's 25 degrees out and you just freeze he says that was wow. the part what, what's your thoughts on that tanner yeah i would have to agree one of the most challenging parts of the thousand is the temperature changes that you have to deal with uh you, you can't dress for hot you can't dress mm -hmm. for cold because it's, it's going to change and it's going to change rapidly when you don't have a pit crew to give you what you need at the time so did wow. you already but what did you do to keep your hands warm while you're riding i know you told me before but maybe tell the audience yeah the left hand behind the radiator and the right hand behind the exhaust when <laughs> When I'm slowing down, going into turns, I didn't. I didn't even use any warm weather gloves or anything like that. Just had wow. thin, lightweight motocross gloves. Yeah, can you imagine the wind chill at 80 miles an hour in 18 degree weathers with just normal motocross gloves? That had to have been just horrible. Uh, yeah, actually, at that temperature, one of the things that was shocking to me was my brain <laughs> felt like it was uh, freezing. Brain freeze. Yeah, yeah like just the wind through my helmet because there was a section i was doing 70 75 uh and it was when it was 18 degrees out and like my head really hurt just from the yeah. cold going through yeah, the helmet no uh, swimming in cold water or drinking a cold drink you know yeah it's crazy i know i'm in my moto van traveling across the country right now and last week i woke up i was in arizona and it was 18 degrees when I woke up in the moto van and I, I couldn't imagine being on a bike with the wind chill with that. It's crazy. All right. So I've got another couple <laughs> questions for you. Pre-running. What's your opinions on pre-running versus not? I've heard some people say that they prefer and recommend in the Ironman class 
to don't rerun. So then you never really know how much longer you have to go and how much suckier it's going to be. What's your thoughts on that versus pre-running? Um, I've, I've always pre-ran. I think it's just a good idea for um, improving your time and safety. Uh, just because if there's a hazard that you might be hitting at night or uh, just, just in terms of navigation, yeah. knowing where to go, you want to know what's coming. You just make a mental note of it. And it, it seems like, oh, how can you remember a thousand miles? Uh, well, bizarrely, you can remember the important parts. <laughs> so, the, big, the big obstacles that you want to avoid or be aware of. Yeah. So even though you're racing with a, a GPS, um, it takes time to look down at it. And even a quarter second, half second that your eyes are worse, you could hit a huge boulder and be down. So the less you have to look at the GPS, the better. And pre-running helps with that. Okay. Huh. And tell us about, I mean, you, you might've mentioned this, but how did you mentally get through the race with all the pain and the cold and the exertion you're experiencing? What mentally kept you going or what did you find yourself focusing on or helping you to look to the future about finishing versus quitting? Like what, if anything? Yeah, that's, that's a, a great question. Cause that's a big part of it is mentally. Um, I've used a variety of, of tactics before, um, but just thinking, this will be over, you know, this too shall pass <laughs> <laughs> for everything from that to thinking about all the, the people that I personally know who are not fit enough and never will be, or have died without doing anything like that. Uh, and just the opportunity to be able to, be in good enough shape and be fortunate enough to be here racing this um, to the complete opposite tactics, depending on what state of mind I'm in to screaming at myself of how awful a rider I am picking <laughs> awful <laughs> lines, the, the biggest whoops in the yeah. rocks. <laughs> so all, all of that, uh, you, you get a lot of strange self-talk when you're out there in the middle of the night for hours and hours. Gotcha. So, so would you agree or disagree with these couple of things I've heard from just people I've ran across desert racing and other endurance sports? I, myself, I always tend to break down hard things in this case, hard races or long races into a bunch of little races. So like I run marathons. So I actually break it down mentally into 26 one mile races. Do you ever find yourself doing that or no? You're just like, no, oh, I got 500 miles to go. Or how do you, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a strategy I, I sometimes use is, yeah, just chunking yeah, it down. So go. either you go pit to pit or yeah. every five-mile marker to five-mile marker. Um, it's really depressing when <laughs> they're no longer there. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, pit to pit's a good strategy. And one of – in, in fact, in this race, my, my mental strategy was – extremely simple just keep going keep just forward. don't stop for anything just don't stop until you see the finish line so just race as hard as i can uh, until i see the checkered flag <laughs> another thing that and i'm going to ask you about this is i, I know a 
it doesn't matter who someone told me says one thing I think about when I'm really ready to quit and it's really painful and I'm just done is he thinks to himself, the minute I stop, the pain goes away. Meaning <laughs> I can just keep going and I can stop whenever I want, because as soon as I stop, it goes away. It's not like it's going to be a lingering thing. So I don't know if that, you know, rings a bit or, you know, if you agree with that or if you've ever thought of that or like, I don't know. It's something interesting that he mentioned to me that I thought was interesting. Yeah, I find in endurance races, especially Baja, uh, when you when you stop, it doesn't go away. Oh, okay. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you burn for quite a, quite a while. You disagree with that one? Okay. Uh, it depends on the the duration yeah. of the race. He, if you're doing a ten k or something, yeah, you stop. At the yeah, end he's the ultra cyclist. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, as soon as I stop, it's done. All right, two more for you. And, and we might have hit on some of these, but what is the one big lesson learned in all your Ironmans that would be helpful to someone else that wants to Ironman a long distance off-road race like the Baja? Is there one thing that comes to mind or a couple top two or three lessons learned? Uh, be prepared. Be prepared to hurt more than you ever thought you would <laughs> uh, be colder than you ever thought you would be uh, be more fatigued than you thought you would be uh, expect unexpected things to break uh, expect anything that might possibly go wrong to go wrong um, th there's so many things that that could um, and if you're trying to Ironman for the first time and your goal is just to finish, um, the, the best thing you can do is don't go too fast. Because if, if you go too fast, you're going to blow up. Pace yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you want to win, a, a lot of people that have asked me advice uh, ask, you know, what, what would, what's, what's your advice? Well, the first thing I ask them is, are you trying to finish or are you trying to win? because it requires a completely different strategy. Um, if you're just trying to finish, I'd say go slow, pace yourself, but it requires a whole different set of strategies if, if you're trying to have yeah, the fastest that time. That makes sense. Yeah. Good, good advice. And without getting into your complete bike prep and setup, I did want to ask, what tires did you run? Yeah, so I, I did a lot of testing with different tires um in the past i've run dunlop uh 606s which is a dual sport tire but it, it lasts a long time i can deal with the the high speeds um because we're going up to like 100 miles an hour um so this year i used um dunlop uh, mx33s in the front and then i used a STI uh, desert tire in the rear, which they're actually no longer making, and also a Maxxis uh, desert tire in the rear. Ma Maxxis IT? Yeah. Was it the desert version? Yeah, that the IT desert. desert? Okay. Which, Dave, I don't, or, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but that's the very stiff sidewall version of the IT by Maxxis, if you didn't know okay. that. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, you basically want a really hard rubber compound that's just going to last because you're, you're abusing it so much and you can't be changing the tire too often. 
Yeah, and it's a lot of hours nonstop, too. Yeah. What was your total time? 24 hours? Yeah, about 23 hours and 55 minutes with, with the time credit. So that's there you my go. official course time. Well, Dave, those are the all the pointed questions I have. I know you typically have your kind of generic questions you like to ask, so I'll let you kind of wrap it up with whatever lingering questions you guys have. Yeah, I know I know we're getting close to the end, but um, I know we, we talk about Baja and everybody we have on, on the show that we talk about Baja. We always ask for the craziest or funniest or gnarliest story that you dealt with or experienced down in Baja. Can is something stick out that that would just blow everybody away you know not somebody crashing but but something funny or exciting um there's a a lot but i would say the the things that come to mind immediately are i actually already mentioned is probably our first year racing is when the brake caliper broke (laughs) off (laughs) yeah that's pretty good and I come into the pit with like no sleeves on because I had to rip them off to fix the bike. And then uh, same same thing when the light broke off. So that's yeah, that's pretty that's ingenious and pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to do what you got to do when you're out there. Yeah, so also, with that with that being said, do you, do you now prepare yourself with obviously zippy ties, maybe a little tie wire, rope, or whatever? Oh yeah, lots of zip ties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those zip ties are amazing sometimes. Um, I don't know. Um, we've kind of hit on a whole lot of stuff and very interesting. I can't wait to go watch your movies. So everybody, check out that movie. Um, what were they called? Um, Into the Dust. So yeah, excited about that. Is there? Tanner, is there anything else you need to throw out there or want to throw out or touch on before we call it? Um, not that I can think of. Okay. I'll say something to wrap up for me, Corn Dog. Okay. For anybody that ever gets the opportunity to meet Tanner, he is by far one of the <laughs> humblest guys I've ever met. He won't say a word about him or his accomplishments without being asked. And even then he does it in a humble attitude. That's very refreshing. And uh, I just want to throw that out there that he's super approachable. I think, I don't know if you'd admit this, but I think I take him as he's a pretty quiet guy by nature. And, uh, but as soon as you ask him or, you know, introduce yourself, he's, he'll be like, Oh, Hey, nice to meet you. And just, you know, start talking to you. But if you ever get a chance to meet him, come up introduce yourself shake his hand congratulate him and just realize you are uh, talking to a very accomplished person not only in dirt bike racing but in obstacle course racing and a lot of other stuff and he would never tell you that unless you find out on your own so i just want to thank him for his time and allowing me to come over to his house and you know set this up and corn dog and eric thanks for letting me once again sit in and you know help out i really enjoy it and appreciate it and i had a great time tonight so i just want to tell that tanner thanks and you guys thanks yeah awesome appreciate everything yeah thank you guys for coming on yeah it's great so yeah uh, and, and dave if i could add one more thing i, I thought of um and for anyone listening I, I would encourage you to get out and do something difficult 
doesn't have to be the Baja 1000. It doesn't have to be on a dirt bike, but just do something that you thought was out of the question or not a possibility for you. Train for it and do it. That is awesome advice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. You only die once. You got to live every day. There you go. That's it. Well, I know we're getting close to ending this, so I guess we can sign out before we get cut off. And uh, I look forward to shaking your hand one day, and whether it be in Utah or Nevada or Baja, uh, I'd like to shake your hand. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. Heck yeah. Well, um, I guess we could call it. And thank you, Trent and Tanner, for coming on and uh, Tanner for sharing your story. And I guess that's it. <laughs> that was good. Hey, thanks, Corn Dog and Eric. We'll uh, catch on the next one. Okay. Good. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. All right. Have a good night. All right. Later. Bye. All right. How was that? Um, that was fun, man. Good show. Yep. I Good had... show. It's, it's amazing what those Ironman uh, Baja racers go through. Like it's un, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, what a what a story. Yeah. And, and of course, I jinxed us by talking about hopefully we'd have a good connection. So sorry, there's a little bit of rough rough recording and lost signal a couple times, but we made it through it, and hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah, hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, Tanner's got a, a cool, cool story. And again, I just I can't believe how much craziness one one race can be, you know, for an Ironman. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know how nuts it is for a team, and uh, the logistics in some ways are similar, but in in some ways are are far different because those guys have to think about nutrition and fueling their body and, um, you know, all that to just to get through it where, uh, I mean, we do too, but not near at the same level. So pretty I, I, awesome. I just can't even imagine being on a bike for that long and for so that hard. Oh, it's gotta be painful. It's gotta yeah. be brutal mentally and uh, physically. Yeah. So hats off to, Ironman. <laughs> yep. Uh, They're a different breed, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, my teammate Ty there for a little while. He was talking about doing it and trying to talk me into it. And he's like, Yeah, me and my dad are gonna maybe Iron Man it. And you should do it with us. And I'm like, Nah, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'll enjoy the race. I don't want to suffer through it. So <laughs> right. like, I'll stick to team racing and uh, you guys you guys go get it. Right. Support, <laughs> but yeah, it's gnarly, gnarly for sure. Heck yeah! Well, cool. Well, I think we should call it. Um, again, thank you so much to Takamoto. Uh, I, they're probably helping you out a little bit for Baja, Eric. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, I haven't reached out yet to talk to Mike, but uh, definitely, you know, those guys have hooked it up for the for the podcast here and um you know we really appreciate 
his support with equipment and, and the stuff that he did for us to help us keep this thing going. So, yeah, he's helping us for our, he's helping us for our Mint 400 bike. So he's he's stepping up oh, for okay. us. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it, tons of YouTube videos, like you said, and just a super cool dude wanting to give back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Takomoto.co. Yeah, go um, check them out. And uh, Kenda Tires. Maybe Tanner needs to try some Kendas down there in, in Baja. Anyway, yeah, Kenda, Bulletproof Designs, and Fly Racing. Thank you to those guys for, for helping me out and getting us dialed in for our upcoming Baja series. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. <clears throat> Um, yeah. And then, uh, reach out to us at email, the desert dirt biker at gmail.com. Facebook is KD Eric, our TikTok, And of course our Instagram, the desert dirt biker, uh, check us out, spread the word, share us, send us a comment, guest ideas, topic ideas. Yeah. Well, Shall we call it? Let's call it. Uh, it it's actually like almost midnight here where I'm at in Texas. So yeah, it's getting late. But uh, anyway, <laughs> it's been fun, guys. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Um, stay tuned for the next few episodes, and we'll catch you soon. Yep. See you at the races. All right. Later. Bye. You have just listened to another episode of the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you tune in next time.